Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Hello, enlightened investors, and welcome back to the show. Delighted to be with you again today. And we are going to take a look at a new and interesting segment of the real estate investment industry. And with us today is Chris Long, and he is the founder and CEO of Long Yards Storage, an industrial self-storage company. Long Yards Storage caters to contractors needing storage space for their large machines, tools, and their equipment. So Chris, Welcome to the show and take us into the show by sharing a memorable experience that helped you to be who you are today. Thanks, Alan. Excited to be here. So one of my most memorable experiences, and um, it just taught me hard work ethic. I was working with my grandfather at a young age, and uh, he was in sheet metal and duct work, and I hated sheet metal and duct work. And we're working on a furnace in the middle of winter in Canada. I am Canadian. I came from the cold, so a little different than where I am now in Florida. But we're working on this furnace for hours, and then we're just, you know, barely any light, cutting our hands, and then you get the furnace on, you put heat to the house, the family's happy. And that was a memorable experience because at a young age, I learned that, you know, it's not just about making in a buck, it's about making a difference. And uh, that's probably a good experience that helped me get into work that had value and was a, could be appreciated. Yeah. Well, cool. So whereabouts in, in Canada? So I was born and raised in the capital of Canada, which not a lot of people know is Ottawa, our cold capital, Ottawa. And uh, yeah, so I pretty much spent majority of my, my life there. And I just immigrated recently, immigrating to the States, and it's been about a little over a year now. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Tell us about your journey. You actually started out as a young entrepreneur selling candy and also working with your grandfather, I guess, in the sheet metal business, as well as on their farm. So take us on that journey. Yeah. So basically, I mean, grew up in, you know, a little bit unfavorable conditions. Actually was raised at a young age by my grandparents. So I, I learned a lot of hard work ethic at a young age and growing up on a farm, you don't really have a choice to do what you're told and you do what you're told. <laughs> That's how that goes. But, you know, when I when we became a young teenager, pretty much started to, I mean, head, you know, back into Ottawa and got into the city at that point and just tried to try to make a buck pretty much. I mean, and I started off like a, it was selling chocolate bars, knocking on doors. And then as soon as I was old enough, I had my first job at Tim Hortons and I was always, always had a job and I was always working on the weekends. And, you know, it was a combination of knocking on doors, whether it was selling asphalt through high school or started off selling chocolate bars at 14. And then pretty much because I had this work ethic and sales side of me, I went into control construction. I loved construction. I didn't like sheet metal, but I did love carpentry. So I got my ticket as a, um, a carpenter, which was a while. I, I got on with a great company, started my apprenticeship. And probably around five years into it, I finally got my ticket as a licensed carpenter. And as soon as I got my ticket, I started my own company, uh, Conrad Construction, which was named after my grandfather, Conrad Heating. And I pretty much you know, pulled up the boots and worked on that. And that's how what started my journey into real estate. Bought my first house, turned it into a duplex. And then bought my second house, turned it into a duplex. And then I quickly discovered I do not like tenants in Canada because if they don't pay, they have all the rights in the world. But I still loved real estate. I love cash flow. And I was sitting on this commercial property and then the light bulb went off. I mean, you know, I had all these tools, equipment, but there was no such thing as contractor yards for contractors like myself. Mm -hmm. So I figured, you know, I'm a pretty simple guy. If I have this problem and I can solve it, then I'm sure other people do. And sure enough, that's how the problem started and that's how it got solved. So I built a few yards, rented them out, and the rest is history. Now we're working on expanding internationally. 
Well, that's an interesting trajectory there from a contractor who had a problem that needed to be solved and realizing that if you had that problem, surely other people were experiencing that as well. Tell us how an industrial self-storage operates and what are the differences between that and what we typically think of as the, I guess, the residential self-storage side of that. Well, it's it's really apples to oranges. The thing is, there's a lot of the same language. Like, you know, you base it on a cap rate, you have your net operating income. For the most part, you look at it, it looks the same, but it really is a lot different. How you get your clients is a lot different. How you market it is a lot different. The lending side is a lot different. So it's a great conversation to have. And, and not a lot of people ask that direct question. And now it's hard to knock self-storage. It's one of the, you know, it's a recession-proof industry. It's been around a long time. You, you see great numbers, but it also on the flip side is becoming very saturated. And a lot of the marketplaces moved in. A lot of the mom and pops are starting to diminish. They're getting eaten out by by REITs and larger companies are coming in and building portfolios with them. So, and then you have a large, a lot of large companies building massive A-class facilities. So, you know, I wouldn't consider myself an expert in self-storage, but I know enough of it to understand the language and the, where the market is going. But I'm really focused and honed in on my business model, which is unique to the marketplace. Because if you think about self-storage, it, it's a box, whether or not it's climate controlled or not. And my model is just a yard. But then you, you kind of stand back and you look at it and go, oh my God, just how many people can actually use this? And that is what is so powerful about it because the market demand is so strong. It's hard to compare the two and two. We are different but getting our clients but at the end of the day uh, it is very unique in a, in a lot of different and in a lot of the same ways by you know income future market value and, and a lot of that so it's it's great to compare the two of them to make it relevant to a lot of people to to quickly understand well you had mentioned chris that the marketing is considerably different how do you market and where are you finding clients that's a great question so one of the things we have to do is we're, we're very data driven and we have to make sure the feasibility of the location we're works first. And this is all internal based on long years data because the lenders don't know the language. A lot of people don't understand. So we have to go to our locations and figure out, okay, what worked? What's our client avatar? And then once we discover our client avatar, then we start building out backwards and basically, but we have that data internally to say what locations and what you know, feasibility we're looking for to make it work. And the marketing, um, um, it's a very challenging because you have to re-educate the marketplace. Just like our first clients that come into our yard, they have this light bulb, aha moment, this exists. And it's really unique. It's the same thing, letting them know that we exist in the first place. So it's completely night and day compared to self-storage, compared to a lot of other businesses out there. We are re-educating the marketplace. And that in itself is a whole other session, I think, because it is really powerful. But at the end of the day, it's getting the message out there and letting people know who we are. What makes an ideal location? And does it vary depending upon, you had mentioned you you develop an avatar for each location. So does it vary from avatar to avatar? Well, you have your main clientele. So you have a lot of them that you can build a study from, but you still have a lot of factors. Like in some areas of town and especially in, in Ottawa, as an example, you have more corporate clients, you have more con construction clients, and some of them you have more like the car industry. So each area of the city kind of has a different sector of growth. You know, once you'll notice some, sometimes it'll be more heavily industrial and then you might get an industrial parcel and more heavily residential build out part of the, the city. So you really have to market and cater to those avatars. 
And your location is critical because one of the things we're finding too is it's really hard to get a location. The city in most cases frown upon what we're trying to do, even though we're trying to clean it up. Like in Florida, you have so many HOAs that it's beneficial to have sites like we do to not only provide and support the small business community, which is one thing that we do, but to provide a clean, presentable place for all these full equipment and storage. So it's very difficult to select a good location that the city will not put too much, too many hinges on for the development requirements that meet the zoning that is also feasible. So it looks easy on the outside, but it's really difficult to get a right location and to be confident to lease it up. Yeah, I would think it would be when you first started talking about the industrial aspects of this and uh, big machinery and big tools and all of that. That was one of the first things that came to mind is this could just really look like a junkyard. So how do you make your places presentable and and have a clean appearance and, well, an attractive appearance, not only for your clients, but you certainly do not want to look like the area that you're putting these in is an area that is declining. And so you want it to look presentable. So how do you manage all that with, I'm sure there's a variety of tools and equipment and vehicles and so on and so forth. And I could see how that could just look like a mayhem in a very short period of time. <laughs> so how do you organize all of that? Well, it's a simple philosophy, out of sight, out of mind. So, and that starts with driving past the facility. You want to see good curb appeal. You want to see our colors. You want to see our logos. You want to know who we are. And then, but you don't obviously don't want to see a junkyard. So it's got to be very presentable right from driving through it. And then, you know, we have our, our road or our aisles and then in, you know, branching off of that, that's where you have the yards and they're all fenced in and enclosed with fabric. So for the most part, it's very, you know, private and secure right from the street, right from driving through the facility. And I want it that way for obviously cosmetic reasons to, you know, make it presentable to the area. But also for our clients, they want to know that their stuff is tucked away and that like like I going back to that philosophy, I had to say that of mine, if I can't see what's in there, then they feel the security knowing that someone else can't see. And that's what we aim to do. Enlightened investors, if you haven't done so already, be sure and click that like button and also click that share so others can take advantage of the content. And finally, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single one of our upcoming episodes. What is the variety of, of kinds of equipment and vehicles? I'm sure there must be a vast array of differences there. <laughs> well, it, it's funny because a lot of people, they automatically go to equipment and materials, but also we add what's called long boxes and long offices. And what they are is they're pop-up offices and pop-up containers that go inside the yards. And these yards, we could bring you power, we could bring you cameras. It's more than just equipment storage. It's a small place, either an incubator for your startup, whether you're downsizing, you just need a place to operate your business. That's what a good chunk of these yards are. So this concept of just equipment is, is actually a small part of the bigger picture. You know, you have cleaning companies, you have arborists, you have landscapers, you have property maintenance guys, you have excavation companies, and they just need a place to park their fleet. They go in there in the morning, you know, whatever they need to do in the office, and they take off. So you have such a variety of clients when you think of it from that perspective, because it caters to so many different needs. Yeah. And I, I mean, I would think that that would be the 
one of the bigger challenges is how do you cater to all of those various different clientels and still keep a place orderly and uh, and functioning. I can I can see why there would be a need for this because I mean as as I just drive around and and look at various different businesses. I mean some of them are are currently utilizing residential self storage for some of their equipment. One company that is close to me is Auto Glass Installation, and they just don't really need a big warehouse and they don't need an office space because everything is mobile, and so they're currently using several units in uh, in a self-storage place. So I could see why this could be beneficial certainly to them and thinking of the construction industry in and of itself that has that is massively reliant upon equipment and in order to store that they're going to have to own their own land somewhere to do that and which could be a huge expense particularly in in rural areas and if they could rent that rather than purchase that that certainly would be beneficial in startup costs for certain and i mean they may want to do that on a long-term basis for tax write-offs and different uh, different purposes and reasons but i i mean i can see from just a company that does grading with relatively small backhoes to a company that does major road work and major earthwork and major construction with huge facility with huge equipment there. So I could see it really getting very erratic and out of control. So you said that you have your avenues, your aisles, and what have you. Are they arranged in size or how are you doing that? Yeah, so this kind of goes back to the feasibility of a location because we have our most common size yards that we're confident in the marketplace. But in different areas, if you're catering to more corporate clients, they're going to want bigger yards. But one of our, our core values is is adapt of our business model and, and to be practical as well. So our, our fencing is made to move around. So based on our lease up period, when we're leasing up, if a client, you know, be, until we get to 78 to 90% lease up, you know, we can move around and be, we can adapt to the marketplace and to the clientele. And that's what we want. So there's many advantages to that. So the market is telling us in a lot of the times what's needed because in different areas and sub markets, you just have different needs. And that's why we adapt. We adapt to the marketplace. So we're not going backwards where we're figuring out, you know, how do we build this? We're letting them tell us and we're building it that way. Which I think is one of our magics because it's obviously you're catering to a large need, but you're filling that need with uh, with what they need. So as simple as it is, that's how we try to keep it. And it's the most powerful thing is getting the messaging out there and getting the right location. What makes a viable location in terms of just basic location? And then also what makes it viable in terms of the area size-wise? What do you need to to start out in a location like this? Because we just introduced our long boxes, we, we used to say four acres, but we can actually go smaller, maybe two and a half to three acres because we sell and rent these containers and offices from our locations, which really help drive up the revenue because there's some formulas of highest and best use for land. And we don't just want to buy two acres at you know a million and a half dollars. We understand that it's not the highest and best use, at least in the short term, because we're a bit of a land bank business at the same time. So we want to be on a little bit on the outside of the city where ideally it's four to seven acres. And this really depends on the demographics of the area. You want good traffic and just obviously the right zoning. So just on a high level, those are probably the three bullet points that we're looking for. And then we get a lot more granular when we start going into due diligence on the property. 
We'll talk just a little bit more about here about long boxes. What what is a long box? Yeah, so we just um, signed in a great relationship with a supplier of Europe, and what it is is they come like packed like a sandwich, and it's either a container or an office. And they're made to move around pretty easily. So, and they just unpack. So you can take two guys, depending on the size, up to 13 feet, and you can build it yourself. And, you know, the walls, they unfold, the roof snaps on. In 15, 25 minutes, you can have a secure container, whether or not you need it in the backyard of a residential for storage, or you need it at your job site, or you need it in your yard. So these boxes are made to, again, go to our core values, which is to be practical and adaptable. So they move around, they're easy to move around, and they have a high need in the marketplace. And it's the same thing for our offices. They're a little bit more manpower to put the offices together, but they're beautiful, well-insulated, a little cabin office that is needed for the workspace, whether or not it's on a job site or again, in a long yards. And that's what we're aiming to do. So now at your location, you have your little office, you can have several of these containers for your inside goods, and then you have your yard and it's all your space and it's made to move around and it's made to adapt and mold to your business needs at that time. And you also mentioned that your fencing is movable and flexible. So do you have your own yards? Do you have those fenced off so that when you're renting a space, they are actually renting a fenced off space or do you just have areas marked off? No, no. So if you were to rent a yard, then you would, you'd open the gates and you put the lock on and your yard is an enclosed space with barbed wire and it's private. And then what you need in that yard is based on you as long as it meets the lease requirements and you're not spilling contaminants. So we gotta, you gotta be really, we gotta be really mindful that you're honoring the, the permit, the local permits and, and the lease agreement. But yeah, to think of the yard, it's, it's a completely enclosed space and the temporary fencing, you know, that's basically what it is. It's made to move around, but we secure it. It can be, it can be pinned into the earth. So it can withstand weather conditions and it's all branded blue long yards plated for each fence panel and it's it's really clean very clean interesting concept if i remember correctly you started your first industrial uh, storage site in about 2014 is that correct or am i uh, 2017 2017 sorry october i bought the property in 2017 i cut the ribbon uh, october 1st 2019 of my first location okay was that in Canada? That was in Canada, correct. Okay. And it was successful. Well, take us through that evolutionary journey. I'm sure that in 2017, you had a concept. And by 2019, two years later, when you cut the ribbon, I am sure there was tremendous evolution from concept <laughs> to actuality. And from 2019 to 2023, I'm sure there's also been a huge evolution. Yes, yeah, so so take us through that. I'm, I love the story and I am happy to share it. So the property is actually CA Long Yards for Chris and Alex. So I'm Chris, my brother Alex, both, you know, had different visions for the property. And it was tough because, you know, I love construction. I love real estate, but I wasn't sure about it. Like many great ideas. And like I sat on it for a while. I knew it was good, but I was scared to pull the trigger because it was so foreign. And part of it, I had to climb a few big mountains. I had to buy my brother out. I had to develop it. And I had to do a few other things to line up funds. So it was it was a challenging mountain to climb. So part of the biggest hurdle was just myself. And really, you know, mentally coming over, how am I going to overcome these obstacles? So I sat on it for about a year. And then finally, my brother and I, it's funny, it was such a turn of events. We agreed to sell the property. So we're just like, you know what? We can't agree with each other. Let's just sell it. And the gentleman was in storage and he wanted to buy it for storage. He put it offer we accepted it 
at the time I was on a cruise with my wife and I'm like, you know what? That's it. I'm tired of thinking about it. And she wanted me to do long yards from the beginning. She was kicking my butt. So, but at the time I was just, I couldn't figure out how to pay, you know, agree with my brother. So we ended up accepting the offer and a weird twist of fate about five weeks later, the buyer backs out, he gets into a bike accident and all of a sudden the opportunity comes back up. And at this point, because I've been struggling with the decision for so long, I kind of told myself, this is meant to be. And then I basically went all in. I had my two small residential properties. I sold them. I bought my brother out. I went all in on the property. I, I was literally cutting trees down to get it started. I was fixing up the house myself as a carpenter to get it going. And I went all in. And that's what it took. It took everything I had because no one would back me. No one believed in me. As foreign as this idea was, investors were like, you're crazy. And I was partly crazy because it, it's very new. And a lot of people don't like new. They like to do and stick to what they know. So I had to be a maverick and I had to take a big risk. And that's pretty much how it started. I sold everything I had. And once I started getting momentum, so once we cut the ribbon in October, 2019, I mean, we had a small series of yards and I couldn't even afford the gates on the front of the yards, but I had to pre-sell the yards in a year in advance to afford to put the gates on. And, and then the rest is history. So, and they leased up within five weeks. Really? So I met people, shook their hand, leased it up. And then as soon as spring came the next year, I was, you you know, running on the ground and I was just building out from there. So, and then I knew I had something and every time someone would come to me, it was the same thing. Like, wow, you really got something here. And since then it's just like, how can I take this everywhere? Because one deal literally changed my life. So that's why I also built a franchise out of it. So I'm the franchisor. We've spent a lot of time building out all the systems and operations in the back end, And we want the same people to do what we've done to go and buy, you know, buy land or, or lease it and just have a great cash flowing business on it. And that's, uh, you know, and it's evolved obviously from when I left Canada to here with building a team and, and learning a lot, a lot about real estate. You know, I went from a carpenter to now trying to, you know, working on building an international real estate development and a franchise or company. So I've got a lot of learning curves in front of me, but my energy and my optimism keeps me moving forward and it's a bright future ahead. Yeah, it sounds like it is. And, uh, a brand new niche and a needed niche and probably i think a niche with a lot of growth as people become familiar with the niche i can just see a lot of potential there one last question here you have talked about the challenges of getting funding for a new concept where are you finding your funding sources for this and what kind of banks and lenders are willing to look at a new concept like this well last week we just got approved by sba so as a franchisor they gave us the stamp of approval for sba which is massive so now we can we can get funding through sba and put as little as between 10 and 15 percent down on our locations so have and and if you know just look at what we're doing we're supporting small businesses we're catering to these startups sba understands that and they're behind us so one of the biggest advantages being in the states compared to canada is is that right we got sba behind us and and that in itself is huge so franchisee you know we'll help them find the land help them source the lending lease up everything and on the corporate side we're finding people with land and we're and we're you know jumping on that opportunity or we're finding our own opportunities and and now that sba is behind us it really is gonna help us grow faster well sounds like a concept with tremendous amounts of uh potential there thank you chris for being with us today it's been a pleasure talking with you and uh, fascinating learning about this new segment of the real estate investment industry thanks Alan. i appreciate it enlightened investors don't go yet i have just a couple of quick requests 
You know the drill. Like, share, and subscribe. But we also need your help to build our audience, so please go to your favorite podcast app and leave us a five-star rating and review. I'll be most grateful. Until next time, prosper and live abundantly. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance, brought to you by Steed Talker Capital, a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Steed Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. Steed Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. For resources to develop your financial independence, connect with us at steedtalker.com.